The following program is furnished by Startup Nation Media Group. Welcome to this edition of Startup Nation Radio. Now, the really cool thing about today's show, typically on Startup Nation, we talk about entrepreneurs, maybe it's freelancers, maybe it's part-time, maybe it's a sole proprietorship type company, uh, you know, someone wanting to form a business of their own. And it's really kind of, you know, very personal, very contained. It's it's all about uh, making some extra income. And in some cases, people have bigger dreams. They dream to create a company that grows to have lots of employees, lots of revenue, and, uh, and that ultimately gets noticed in its marketplace for doing what it does, doing what it does well, and for its growth and its success and so on. And it gets acquired. You know, it gets bought by another company. And that's a really, we call that an exit. And that's a really exciting thing for entrepreneurs who want to build a company rather than, say, have it be a lifestyle company one that gets purchased. You build it, you grow it rapidly, and you sell it, and you have this great success and and great return to shareholders. Such a story as that which we're going to tell today. We're going to do it with my co-host today and former partner in creating new ventures, Chris Cameron. Chris, you're managing director at PricewaterhouseCoopers. This is a story that we're going to tell today that you know well. You were involved. You were part of the team that made it happen. Tell us a little bit about your background first, Chris. Welcome to Startup Nation. Yeah, well, thanks, yeah. Jeff. It's great to be here. Great to be back on the air with you. And uh, yeah, it this is, is great. A, this a fun story, yeah. I think. It's it's a local story, company here built up in Wald Lake. And really, it's interesting. For me, it was my first opportunity as I finished grad school to join a, a early stage startup company. And my background to that point had been public accounting. I've been a CPA. I've been helping companies go through the process of, you know, auditing their financial statements, helping them build yeah. forecasts, that sort of thing. And so my background following all of that is, is obviously, you know, I got into Paramount, which we'll talk a little bit about here in a few minutes. And then you and I met up not long after that, a few years later and spent good five, six years, you know, building companies. At, building at companies Ventures. with a couple of really good success stories. Yeah, yeah, some great success stories across cybersecurity, across data analytics, uh, some really interesting plays in uh, e-procurement and, and, and other and areas. A, and a biotech success. Biotech, as well, yeah. Yeah, those, yeah. Those were great, great days working with you, Chris. And uh, you and I were really in lockstep. You know, I'm kind of a visionary type entrepreneur that's got lots of ideas, kind of a, more on the creative side and so on. You're really good financially. You know, you're able to do, you're, you're able to see a company through the lens of, you know, really the, um, it's really the vital statistics uh, of, a com- of judging a company, of judging the merits of a startup company and so on. And you're really good at building around that, you know, taking that information and building a company around that. Well, and I think understanding the core tenets of how a company's going to work financially is, is foundational. It's everything. everything. Foundational. Right. Exactly. If you don't understand exactly. how you're going to make money, how you're going to forecast your cash, how you're going to make all those components work, you're going to be a very disappointed entrepreneur. Right. right? So you're I was always saying, thank God for you. Yeah, there you go. Let's <laughs> say it again. One more time. Thank God for you, there Chris you Cameron. There uh, you go. But it really, I think Paramount was an amazing experience, right? Yes, I'm, I'm fresh out of getting an MBA in marketing. I remember very well walking in the door with my co-founder at the time and you know, I had my little briefcase and had my marketing book and I'm like, what do I do next? Right. What do I, I'm sure a lot of, what do I do on, first? What do I do first? <laughs> what do I do at all? Right. Right. And I remember uh, the question was build a marketing plan. I opened up my textbook. I'm marketing like, plan marketing plan, plan right. you know, product, right, right, place, right, right, price, right. 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 So, there you go. <laughs> I've got yeah. it. But you know, I think Paramount, while it is a enterprise software company, we'll talk a little bit about that. I think has a lot of lessons that any entrepreneur can learn sure. from, right? Just, sure. I think as we looked at the market early on, we weren't a software company. Right. We didn't start out that way. We were a services company looking to deliver some ERP software, financial software to mid-sized companies. So that's what we were doing, reselling in service. 
And then we just had an opportunity with our first big sale. I saw an opportunity to innovate, right? We saw an opportunity to solve a problem in the market. And I think that's really the first message. You know, you can learn so much from your clients about what problems to solve and prioritize. I mean, they're telling you what the market needs right Right. there. And if you've got the ability to deliver on a need, it's called an opportunity. It's called an opportunity. (laughs) And we saw that. I saw that. And it really became a passion, right? And that's the other thing. As an entrepreneur, if you're passionate about it, you'll do it well, you'll do it naturally. And for me... I was passionate about solving this problem. So how could I come in and really find a way to automate, in this case, all these processes at this client, which were very manual, right? So we had purchasing process that wasn't very automated with this first big client. And so we built a suite of software around that capability that ultimately became the flagship of what we uh, ultimately built around Paramount. And that, that led to a lot more. That's really exciting. You know, at what point did you start to feel Hey, we're on to something here. You know, I think we came in and we demoed our new software, right? And I did some air quotes you can't see on the air because it was really a true prototype. I spent time learning to program, learning to develop what I wanted it to look like, right? And I hadn't had a programming background, but we go into the uh, client's office and say, here's what we're going to be delivering to you, our new software product. And they were just like, that's perfect. That's exactly what we need. That's going to solve a pressing problem in the market, right? for clients like us. And it was at that moment, Jeff, that I thought, you know, we have something we can commercialize. Yeah, that gave you validation mm-hmm. and affirmation that this was a direction to go in. But then taking it from that to the market takes funding, takes, you know, uh, resources, people, the whole thing. How do you go from we see an opportunity to let's jump on this thing and make some money from it? Let's well, build a company around it well, in your case. yeah, Right. I mean, I think as we saw how our client was leveraging this in the suite of software that we'd helped them implement around their financial software, we quickly saw that this could be replicated. We quickly saw that we could take this out to market and that became the next watershed moment. And like the next move is, well, great, you got this. What do you do? And right. we started to find other companies who were in the market of servicing and selling the software that we had you know, we have been doing at Epicor was the name of the financial software. We called them up and we started to have conversations. Hey, we solved the problem with this. Would you like to do the same? Right. And suddenly we had a channel, right? So value added reseller, VAR channels. This is another lesson for the entrepreneurs, how you go to market. There's a lot of options. Oh, that's one of the toughest parts, how you go to market through what channels and everything. How do you create the awareness? How do you do the sales? That that's, takes money it, it and is. resources and people and, right. you know, and vision and the whole thing. In a, a reseller network costs you something. You give something to the reseller, but you get everything you on just said. On the back said. end. On the yeah. back end. Yeah. You get everything you just said packaged in, the relationships, the go-to-market, the messaging. And then ultimately, the last thing I'll, I'll point out for us, it was the next watershed moment, was a white labeling agreement. So the opportunity to have one of these software companies say, hey, we're going to take your technology, your purchasing system, and requisitioning system, we're going to tuck it into our purchase order. People can just buy it like it's our stuff. That really changed the game. Wow, because then they were doing the selling. Yeah. You were getting a piece on the back end on the, on their sales. Everything. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. That, that, and that drives funding into the company, allows you to start thinking about growth. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's when things start getting really exciting, right? It, it really does. And I think the closing point just being there are a lot of different ways you can look at a market and a lot of different ways. Once you solve a pressing problem, you can start to continue to go to market. Resellers, direct, a mix. You get a big partner in the market who can white label your product or service. It does create a game-changing experience for you in terms of market yeah. reach. So there you were, you got validation. You've now got your channels. You got sales. You got funding coming in through sales. This, you got validation. I mean, you're feeling good. You're onto something at this point. Um, but at some point, you know, there's growth and there's growth and growth. And then all of a sudden someone calls on the phone and says, Hey, 
we're looking at you guys. We think you're, a, you know, you might be in our sweet spot here. You could be a potential acquisition candidate for us, right? That's that's kind. Of, I mean, I've I've oversimplified it, you, but, you but, have. Those, but but those things happen. Those things we, happen. But we want to hear the details. We want to hear the stories behind the story, Chris. Yeah, we're gonna do that right after this break, and we're gonna bring on the CEO of the newly formed the merge entities mm-hmm. that now form this powerhouse single entity. Uh, we'll allow you to introduce the CEO um, when we come back after this break. And let's let's hear the rest of the story. It's really exciting stuff. Sounds great, Chuck. All right, Chris, ready for this break. More with Chris Cameron on Startup Nation Radio. All right, welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. Really cool story today. Lots of energy. Sparks flying in the studio. We've got Chris Cameron co-hosting today. Chris. Jeff, great to be here. So, so great excited to, to be you. back on the air. Great to have you, man. Yeah. Look across at you, and I just get, things are buzzing here. I mean, yeah, it's just really cool. Palpable. All right, all right. So you palpable for sure. So we got this great story you're telling us. This is a story of a company that not only went on to be created by a founder, but then with the right team members pulled together. You, uh, most specifically in the early going, helped structure the company, get it pointed in the right direction, get the first sales going, get it rolling. You got this company going now. Ultimately, it's going to lead to what we're going to tell you is all about an M&A activity that took place and in fact, an exit for the founder and the other shareholders in this core company. It's really exciting. But tell us, you know, kind of the next steps, Chris, you, you, we, we, where we left off is you had some sales going, you had validation. Now what starts to happen? Yeah, it was an amazing time. We had rocket ship growth as a company. We're an Inc. 500 fastest growing company. We're one of the top 500 software companies in the U.S. We were getting all these great accolades. And we were also experiencing a tremendous amount of pull forward of sales, frankly, from Y2K concerns. So this Mm -hmm. is giving you a little bit of dating on this discussion, right? Right, So we really saw a tremendous upswing. So leading into that time frame, the company grew rapidly. And I think managing that growth successfully was an, another important lesson for us. But really to fast forward to what we'll talk about next, this merger and acquisition and M&A event, I ultimately had taken a step out of the company and taken an advisory role to the founder and CEO, Salim Khalife. Yep. And he continued to drive that company and keep it in market through you know challenging times and tremendous credit to his leadership and what he accomplished. But he and I reconnected a couple of years ago when he was thinking about what's next, right? You build this great company, you're in market, you have all this possibility with where this can go as a company going forward, your legacy, right? You build this, it's your legacy. And I think that was the discussion he and I started to have. I was still a shareholder. As a minority shareholder, he and I then were working toward a common goal. Like, how can we take this forward? Much of what I had originally coded back in our previous discussion still was part of what was in the software. So I really was like, wow, this would be so fun, right? To see this go forward somewhere else. So that was the discussion he and I had, and we spent a good almost two years, year and a half in discussions, and then ultimately in the marketplace, you know, looking for a partner, looking for the right partner who can help us move the company forward with the right capital, with the right connections, and with the right capability. Yeah, and so you helped with that vision yeah. to take the company to the next step through M&A, merger and acquisition, yep. and then you helped find the right partner, the merger opportunity, right, the other company to merge with. Well, actually, the way this came together, it really starts with finding the right private equity company and and how you're going to connect with them. And in that regard, I'll also give, you know, certainly a lot of consideration and accolade to Canaccord Genuity, who is our investment banking partner. So when you look at these types of transactions, you may have an investment banking partner in the mix who's representing us, who is representing myself, my co-founder and Paramount into these transactions. So we go out and they help shop us know, to the private equity community. And that required, you talked about my financial background, that required a lot of work, 
on my part to help prepare key financial metrics, key things that were important to a software company, which is really a cloud software company. So monthly revenues and projections and understanding our run rate was vital uh, statistics to understanding the value of the business. Yeah, to kind of paint that picture for what someone out there might be able to obtain through a transaction like this. Tell me one thing, just paint this picture for me, because so many of us entrepreneurs who aren't getting the opportunity necessarily to do M&A or, or to exit, you know, and so on, we're building a business. It's more of a lifestyle business, perhaps. Doesn't really have an exit like that. But tell us how M&A works. Just give me an example transaction. So here are your investment banking firm that you brought on. They find a suitor, mm-hmm. right? They bring them to the table. Let's say they do all the evaluation. Everybody's in, looks great, buy into the vision. What does the transaction look like? How's the money flow? What happens? So what happens from there, Jeff, really depends on the type of deal that you're going to work out with the, in this case, the private equity firm who's investing the capital. And in their case, they had done a great job of having a vision for a roll-up, right? So there's going to be another company rolled into this. In short, you think about things like, how am I staying in the business, right? So in my case, I wasn't going to stay in the business. I was here as an advisory capacity, but you know, my co-founder, uh, Salim, he was going to stay in the business in some capacity. So how does that look? How does that work? How do the equities yeah. kind of break out? So there's a lot of different formulas to that. Sure. There are shareholders that benefit like you mm-hmm. were, were a shareholder at that point. Right. And then there are employees and founders and others that may or may not stay in the business going forward. Sure. In your case, you weren't active yep. in the business and didn't plan to be operationally going forward, but you certainly wanted your shares to be worth something. Sure. This was a way for you to make that happen, Har- right? That Liquidate. Value. Right, yeah. absolutely. So when, when you have a transaction like this, typically you're going to see the shares acquired. And so there's a distribution of capital for the valuation. So I'm sure you've talked about valuation once or twice sure. on your show, sure, right? Sure, sure, So again, The strength of how you make your case for your valuation is often built on the foundation of those financial metrics, right? Ultimately, there's a whole phase of due diligence, which is non-trivial, right? So anyone who goes through an M&A event like this will go through a process of dealing with third-party auditors, accountants, who are going to really look under the covers. So you have to know what you're doing and that things are kind of T's or cross, I's or dotted. All right, that's great. So here you put the transaction together. And we've got a gentleman on the line with us now that's running this new merged entity, the new company, Mm -hmm. into which your company... Paramount. Uh, Paramount. How do I say this? Into which it, it was merged. Merged. So it was, Paramount it was acquired. Workplace. Right. Yeah, it was acquired. Right. So right. They, they had, a, I thought, a, a fantastic vision right. for merging these two entities into one new go-to-market company, Parasoft, which Matt's leading. All so. right. Tell us about Matt. Let's bring him on the show. Great. Matt, welcome to the show. Maybe just you can give us a, a little quick summary of where you guys are at and things you're doing, but you're the CEO of the somewhat newly formed back in December of last year, Pearsoft, which is now a leading e-procurement, I guess I'll call kind of procure-to-pay, automating all things around AP and procurement in the market. Uh, I think really looking at middle market, but uh, I'm sure you guys have clients who are, are certainly reaching up to the enterprise. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, good to have you on, Matt Cotter, new CEO. Thank you. So I've been in the chair, yeah, Chris, since uh, about April. You're right. The combined entity got formed back in December, and you did a nice job of describing kind of the market that we want to play in. Matt, you're charged with now taking this combined entity or, you know, and, and taking it forward under the vision. Tell us how, you, you know, you viewed the importance of a transaction like this. What did it do for you? Why was it attractive? And kind of what's, you know, what are you thinking about going forward now? So number of different reasons. The importance of it in the marketplace, I think, is... Uh, And Chris did a good job of describing the size of the market that we want to play in. We see a gap in this middle market space when it comes to kind of more advanced procurement solutions. 
Traditionally, companies will rely on the ERPs that they talk about. You know, Chris mentioned Epicor uh, and see this space. The combined entity of Parasoft takes what Chris had built at Paramount and combined it with another company called PaperSave that does more like AP automation, OCR. And so what we see is an ability for Parasoft to provide a complete procure-to-pay solution specifically for that mid-market space. We have uh, kind of digestible economics for those organizations. Price tag's not too big. Implementation cost isn't too high. Plus, we've got, we think, really unique functionality for specific industries. I think, Matt, when you look at the market today and you look at the landscape of procurement, every company has to manage a purchasing one way or another. How do you see kind of your focus? Is there is there an industry? I know that Paramount has had some, certainly just speaking to their side of the equation, had some really great marquee clients, Cleveland Cavaliers, and they had companies that are in you know, a variety of industries, healthcare and across gaming, for example, a few casinos. Are there types of companies who are looking to solve these problems at an enterprise level that you guys see as you know, more pressing opportunity? And then at the same time, I know another go-to-market principle was partnering with certain you know, other financial software companies. Is, is that also kind of leverage you have into the market? Yeah, absolutely. So from an industry standpoint, you hit a couple of them, right? Sports franchises seem to be a good market for us. But what's been really fascinating over the last year or so, I think, is if you look at a lot of our marquee clients, they fall in the not-for-profit space, specifically around uh, healthcare and higher ed. And so what we see is a real ability to take these procurement solutions that you started to develop and use those for the benefit of those organizations so that they can actually do some really good things in their market space. You know, we work with all sorts of, kind of very local healthcare outputs. Um, you know, East Valley Co-op, uh, one of our kind of larger customers is the Shriners Hospital, right? And that allows us to become kind of very mission-driven around what we're doing. So yeah, that industry seems to play very well for us. And then you're right, from an ERP standpoint, partnering with these other financial institutions, that's a strategic element for us where I see us broadening that base. Uh, we made another acquisition, even in July, uh, of a company called Webiplex that does something very similar to what we do, but they do it for a different ERP, uh, NetSuite. So we're expanding aggressively across those fronts. All right, that's really great, guys. We've got to run to a break. When we come back, Let's talk about some of the key hallmarks of how these transactions happen. If you're, if you're a company out there and you think, you know, wow, this sounds really interesting to me. Why do I want to think about just growing a lifestyle company or a company I can make a little extra money from over the next few years? Hmm, maybe I could get on a path. Maybe I could get on the rails. If having a story like Chris Cameron's had. Uh, that's what we want to do. Let's yeah. build some companies that get acquired. Let's make some big money here. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Right? Exciting <laughs> things out there. Okay, so let's talk about some of the key things you got to be thinking about and the way to position yourself, maybe the way to think a little differently as an entrepreneur if that's what you want to do. All right? Let's do that. Let's do it. Right after this break on Startup Nation Radio. All right, welcome back. Startup Nation Radio. Got a story today that is a great one, real success story. You don't hear about stories like this all the time. These are the great stories. These are the ones that founders have a vision. This is a founder meeting with great success. Chris Cameron, you had a big hand in making that happen. It's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, it really is, Jeff. I mean, it, you know, when you look at your career and you look back on your career, maybe that's a good way to put it. Any of us who are entrepreneurs have a passion to create something that we think we are uh, obviously passionate about, what we believe in. 
right? And so you want to see that go down the road in great places. And I think one of the things we've been talking about today is how an M&A event is a way to help make that vision come true. Yeah, right? I want to talk about how to make that happen. I just want to key on something you just said, because I think it's really interesting. You just said that as an entrepreneur, when you have a vision, you want to see that vision go on and everything else. Now, most of the time, people would you know comment on that by saying it this way. I want to make sure that I optimize and maximize my opportunity for return on this business I create and all my hard work and everything else. I want to make as much money as I can. You're saying something a little different than that. You're yeah. also saying that just you want to have all that hard work, sweat, and tears that you poured into that thing mean something. Absolutely. That's different. Yeah, of course. I, I think it is different. And I think when you decide to become an entrepreneur, when you decide to create something, in the market, no matter what it is, dog walking business, enterprise software company, right? Yeah. There's an entire spectrum of possibility. You're probably passionate about it. You probably care about it, right? It's probably why you're doing this. And the point for me becomes this. I look back on my career and I've had a, a really fortunate career to do a lot of interesting things. And I think about the legacy that creates, the impact it's made on people's lives or in, you know, from my clients or for yeah. individuals, right? And I think when I look at something like this story that we're talking about today, how uh, an event like a merger and acquisition that we've kind of framed out here on this show actually helps that legacy continue into the future. And with Matt, for example, as the leader who's taking that newly formed company forward now as Parasoft, I think it's really an interesting thing for me and any entrepreneur to think, gosh, this is something I helped create somewhere back in my career. Yeah. And here it goes, man. It's still happening and it's still, you know, going out to clients and it's solving problems and it's yeah. making impact. You know, the thing I want to underscore, and then I'll hand it to you and we're going to bring Matt back on in a second. But the thing that underscores for me is that, you know, entrepreneurs, when they come up with an idea, it's very personal. It's part of who they are. It's like another child, you know? I mean, you're really close to it. You're emotional about it. You're passionate about it. You're excited about it. And when you get that validation and it's out there in the market and it's like an athlete who dreams of being a great football player and catching the long bomb in the end zone, man. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? right. It's the payoff. And, it and, it's, and it's part of it is monetary, financial. And part of it is that psychic return that comes with great success. Yeah, there's no question about it. And I think the opportunity to see something that you've had a hand in creating now make its way into a market where it can be bigger than you ever envisioned is super exciting. Cool. So let's get Matt back on the show. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's now leading this enterprise that you had a hand in putting together and uh, bring him on. Matt, it's uh, great to welcome you back to this next segment. And, you know, we've been talking a bit about, you know, the past and how we got to where we are. Let's pivot to the future. You know, I'd, I'd be interested, Matt, as you look at, as you're now the leader of Parasoft, as its CEO, how are you looking at the market that Parasoft is in with these combined companies now? And I think, as you mentioned a few minutes ago in the last segment, you've now made another acquisition recently. How do you see all of this now going forward? Where are you looking at the market? What are some of the key things you're looking at over the next few years that represent the opportunities you want to position this company in front of? Huge question. Lots of implications to it. You know, what's interesting is I've been obviously listening to you guys talk about uh, kind of the different stages that companies are in when you're in the startup and you get to a certain point. And, you know, you mentioned passion. Like my passion for my career has been scaling organizations. I could never do what you and Celine did uh, or what the guys mm. at PaperSave did and go from zero to one like that. I don't have that skill set. Uh, I'm not sure I've got the intestinal fortitude for that. But going and scaling something is really exciting to me. So I think about the markets that we're in today and what the company looks like. 
And there are a lot of really interesting business, but like intellectual challenges, right? So how do I take two organizations like this and combine them and create a culture that is consistent across everywhere in the globe, right? We have obviously staff in India, we've got staff in Detroit over there in Walled Lake. We've got teams in Miami. I just hired a product guy in Helsinki. I'm interviewing a support lead who's outside Bucharest. So you've got wow. people spread everywhere. How do you build culture around that? You know, I think the other thing when you get when companies get to this stage in their growth, it becomes a lot about market definition. And that's as much about what we're not going to do as it is what we are going to do. Like when you and Salim were building this, priority number one was make payroll. Mm-hmm. Right. So if a company walks in the door and says, Hey, I'm willing to give you a check, pretty hard to walk away from that. The scale that we're at now though. Those types of discussions become really distracting and take us away from core mission. And so we have to get really, really good about market definition and having discipline around that. So that's another piece of it. Another piece of it is organizational discipline. Like, again, when you and Salim are building this thing, it's all hands on deck, right? Customer calls and has a problem, employ it like it's student body left. Where we are today, I just had this conversation this morning, it becomes really important to make sure that we have people in swim lanes where they know what good looks like, we know what success is for your part of the organization, and we can, in a lot of ways, kind of fight against that desire to just do good all the time and make sure that we're doing good in our lane because that is a force multiplier for us. So those, those are the things that are kind of constantly on my mind is how do I define the organizational accountability? How do I define the market? And then how do I help build a culture that everybody can feel really comfortable in? So I think you said one thing there, Matt. You said a lot of good things, first of all. But I think one thing at the end there caught my attention, culture. I know one thing in my experience broadly beyond just this opportunity to work on this is, you know, how company cultures merge and go forward successfully mm. through an M&A event, right? Yeah, that's it's, huge. it's not easy. Yeah. And I don't care if you're running a 20-person company or a 2,000 or 20,000-person company. When you start to bring organizations together with disparate leadership and, and values and, you know, everything else, how do you bring those new teams together in a successful way? And I think you started to mention culture. Is there something, Matt, you have set as a, you know, kind of a priority as you've looked at how you maintain how you drive the culture you want in your organization going forward? Yeah, so it's it's a really interesting question. So, I, and I'll add two other uh, levels of difficulty to it. Right. So one is history. So you have these different companies, but they have twenty years of history that you're trying to unwind as well. And then the one that's maybe more unique to us is we have no corporate headquarters. Like we have no location. We talk a lot about how when the pandemic hit. I think everybody was just kind of batting down the hatches and we'll wait until things kind of, quote unquote, go back to normal. This is normal. Like, this is the world that we're in. So I'm sitting here in Chicago in my attic. I can't walk around and do the backslapping thing and build the kind of bonhomie, uh, the esprit de corps. And so we've got those things we're fighting against as well. The part, though, that I think it's really exciting for us, if I take all of that and turn that into a positive, is I'll go back to, I think we talked about in the last segment, you know, customers and industries that we can rally around. And that has been the central theme for us. I've spent the last eight weeks doing kind of these small group sessions with everybody where they have been telling me, here's what we want our culture to be, right? It's not something that I can dictate from on high. They are dictating to me, here's the culture that we want to be. 
And then it's my job then to kind of shape and mold that, put the right words around it for something that people can rally around. What's really interesting, like fascinating for me in this is one of the things, you know, just one example is in the words that I've been using around it are advocacy. Like that's one of the things that we want part of our culture to be, right? We advocate for our customers, we advocate for ourselves, but we also advocate for our communities. We're active participants in our local communities. And then you can take that thread all the way through to our customers. I mentioned Shriners Hospital, right? We're providing procurement software for Shriners Hospital. They can then take that and use those efficiency dollars that they gain and put it into uh, the work that they do. Work that they do, they put $39 million last year against research for musculoskeletal uh, diseases for kids, right? So that's our customer. And so when you talk about how do we build a culture, what we're doing is we're building a culture around our customers. And then we take that all the way to how our employees act. Really interesting. Amazing. And and uh, Chris, we're going to run to a break. When we come back, let's pick it up again. I got a question I want to ask you, Matt, this along the lines of what we're talking about, company culture and so on, and how you make that trans- yep. uh, transition. Uh, Chris, I know you're itching with a couple of questions of your own. For Matt, while we've got him, let's go to a break. Back with more right after this quick minute on Startup Nation Radio. All right, welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. We've got a final segment uh, really to kind of put a bow on what is a really great success story here for certainly our region uh, in Michigan. This is a great story. A company started, founded right here grown right here and then acquired as uh, a great ultimate outcome of all the effort and everything that these founders put into the company. Chris, we've got Matt on with us. I, I want to ask you guys both a question, both Matt now currently having to deal with this and Chris, you having to, to, to a degree let go, but certainly the founder, I would imagine having even more of a challenge with this. Here, you've got this company, you had a vision for it. It was your baby, you guys, you're the founders, you know, you, you knew where you wanted to take it. You knew what you wanted the product to be. You knew who you wanted your customers to be and how you're going to do it all. And then you sell the company, but in the case of the founder, he stays on with the company. And you talk about culture and fit and everything else, making those things go together. That can be a bit challenging letting go, right? I mean, now it's Matt's to run. It definitely is a challenge for any of us when you've done something a long time. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners have, you know, run businesses for many years. Maybe that's been their whole career, right? But at some point, you've got to think about where do we go from here? And if you happen to be in a situation like uh, Paramount was and you find yourself looking at that next step and next evolution in your business, sometimes you need that partnership to take it to the next level, then how do you do that? And then what are you going to do? Like, how do you feel right. about that emotion, right. right? I almost say you, we could spend a whole show going beyond the numbers, right? Yeah. There's the payday and everyone's excited. We read about it and we hear about, you know, these buyouts and these acquisitions and, you know, it's all very exciting. But at the same time, there's a lot more beneath the surface. And when I think about some of the things that matter to all of us in terms of our personal legacy and how we feel about what we're going to do with our time and our life, and especially the last half of our career, professional career, maybe, sure. what do we do? What do you do? Matt, how has that transition gone specifically as it relates to the, you know, the founding team and those that stayed with the company, the founder specifically, how has that, uh, how has all that played out? Yeah, it's been really good. And I, you know, say I've actually been on both sides of it in my career where it hasn't played out well. And then with this, uh, where it's played out really well. And I think the big issue is, and Chris touched on it a little bit, is it's more than the numbers, right? And it's more than the numbers from a founder standpoint. You've got to find those quality things and somebody that you partner with uh, to bring things to scale. But from my perspective, as the person charged with coming in and growing this, it's also more than the numbers, meaning, you know, did we buy it at the right price, all that kind of stuff. It's, can I partner with uh, a Celine? Can I work with those folks? Are they willing to let me do the things that I need to do? Because there are some, some difficult decisions that have to get made. Now, the toughest ones are always around personnel 
and are people going to come along for the journey or not? But this has been really good. And I think it comes down to, that's actually, it's back to one of the things I mentioned in the last segment, organizational discipline, right? Setting up the structures where people know where their lanes are. And that yeah. includes the founders. Sure. Right? It includes sure. everybody involved. Yeah. It's interesting when the founder stays on because there's an employment agreement as part of the transaction, it's kind of obligatory, you know, he gets his payday, but he's done and his upside is done. I mean, that's kind of one thing, but it's another thing if there's still equity in the company and you're all working, Matt and the founder and all the other team members on the team are all working toward a common goal, grow the value of the company for an outcome, which benefits that founder that, you know, if there might've been some stock involved too. Yeah. Yeah. I think in this case, the way this was structured was a little bit more consultative than necessarily needing the original founder, Salim, to really be, you know, at the front and center helm, right? So what we saw here, and this is another good lesson for your your entrepreneurs, is he had such tremendous, and he has such tremendous market knowledge, right? So how he could sense the market, look for opportunities, help find, you know, where there's other opportunities to grow and merge, right? And I think that was a great positioning for him as he made this transition. And as they brought Matt in and they started to build out more of the team, I think that's one way you can take it. There's other transactions where you have that same former owner, you know, really take the role of, hey, I'm just an employee, right? And I've got some equity. Maybe I do, maybe I don't, but I've had a payout. And so I have a different relationship. And I think those are the different ways you can see these things take. It's certainly not one size fits all. A lot of it gets back to your personal goals. Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to keep in this? Do you want to keep a hand? Do you want nothing? You just want to walk away. Right. I want my money. I'm done. Well, and I think I'll, I'll close on this point and answer your question, Jeff. I think the important thing is knowing what you want before you start. Think carefully about what you want out of this in your life. Not just, I want the biggest paycheck I can get. Okay, we get that, right? But I think it's more, if not as important to say, what do I want my life to look like after this, right? Aside from whatever the money is, do I want to stay involved in this business? Do I want to go do something else? Right. What is it I really desire to make me happy? Sure. That's an excellent point. The thing that I would add to that is I think that's a great point that Chris brought up. The part that I would tag onto it is also being very clear with yourself about where your strengths are. There's no perfect mm-hmm. entrepreneur. Everybody's got strengths and weaknesses and knowing really well what you're good at. So, and Chris mentioned it, right? But Salim's knowledge of the market, the players, how the different players fit together, the relationships that he has are not something that can be replicated. I don't have that set of skills. I don't have that market knowledge. I have a different set of skills. I'm good at different things. But Salim was really honest with himself, I think, about where he could add a lot of value going forward. And that sets you up for success. Whereas in other instances in my career, it's not worked out that way. And a lot of it was because misaligned expectations around where the founder can add a lot of value as the company scales. I think that's just as important. Yeah, I agree. You know, that's a strong point. I think being honest with yourself, as you said, Matt, and, you know, really knowing where your skills are and where they aren't. It's also what you really enjoy doing. I mean, here, Matt, you mentioned before you didn't have the stomach to do what Chris did and what I've done and, you know, creating startup companies, being there in the early formative, you know, the peanut butter and jelly days, uh, if you're lucky. Those are tough days. For example, I love that. I know, Chris, you love that. It's a lot of, you know, but I don't love growth. I don't love growth. I don't want, I'm not good at managing a company and it's probably in its growth phase. So it's interesting knowing different skills, different skills, different skills, different kind of almost, I I will use the word risk tolerance. Like where's your comfort zone? What are you okay with in terms of operating with more ambiguity than less, right? Uh, Operating in a place where you have a little more uncertainty about, you know, I think Matt said it well, you're thinking about how you're going to make payroll, how you're going to pay benefits, things like that. I mean, I've been there multiple times and you think about those things as your priority 
And, you know, at the same time, you still got to keep the wheels on the bus, right? You got to keep the train on the track. How are you going to drive, you know, your next round of sales? How are you going to move into market? How do you continue to grow the team? All of that's in your doorstep. Some people can thrive on that. And it, it's like, gosh, that's exciting. Others, it's terrifying. Well, listen, guys, you've given us a lot to think about. It's a story that's both informative and inspirational. I mean, something to shoot for, aspirational, right? I mean, uh, Chris, you don't see these stories all the time. You're now in consulting. Consulting, yeah. yeah. So and you're, very and you're, different and line and of work. Right, different very, very different line of work. But, you know, you're helping advise companies on where they go, what they do, how they do it, what they do to get them where they want to be and so on. It is. I yeah. mean, similar concepts, you know, helping bring companies out to a vision where they want to be down the road. And that is a journey, right? And how you help architect that journey right, is really foundational to all of this. And even yeah. what I do today, you, you have to really understand, like I said before, maybe it's a great analog to finish. It's a really important thing to think about where you want to go in clear terms. Where do you want to go? How are you going to get there? And what's the benefit of that outcome? And then map out all those steps in between, man, as a journey. How am I going to get there? Where do I start? What's that first step, right? And that gives you the discipline. It gives you the roadmap. To know what you're doing every day is getting you there. Because otherwise, it's really hard to understand. Yeah, beautiful. Guys, it's Chris, thank you very much. Matt Cotter, thank you for being on and sharing the story from, from your seat and all of this. No, it's a ton of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, great, great stuff. Matt. Great stuff. Hey, thanks, guys. So there you go. Need a shot of inspiration? You got it on Startup Nation Radio. We'll be back again next week. Between now and then, you get out there now and start it up. The preceding program was furnished by Startup Nation Media Group.